0: And there's only a few times in life when you get to interview people that you admire respect and someone that some kind of influenced my own life and uh DJ Spoonie mate uh, I know I've been on your cage for probably <laughs> no weeks and weeks and weeks but <laughs> finally you said yes you're now here at Woodbury House Soho and I'm very humbled that we're gonna have a, an in-depth conversation about your life your successes your challenges
1: and I think it's going to be very valuable for the younger demographic as well. So thank you very much. Thank you. Humbled that you'd uh, want my views, opinions, and uh, experiences as well. So big up yourself.
0: So a, a question, right? When I was making some notes, okay, um, I always like to go from the start when you was a kid and talk about even maybe your parents because a little bit about me, if I said to my parents, I'm 36, back then <laughs> I'm going to do a podcast, I know what my mum my would say. She's very black and white and very blunt. Well, you were wasting your time with all that for, you know, mucking around it, etc. The guy I just interviewed, Andrew Henderson, he's a freestyle footballer. He's 30. He's got 1.3 million people following him on Instagram. He's got a lot of people subscribed to his YouTube channel. He's making bundles of dough from it. But if you said as a business model to your parents, I'm going to become a freestyle footballer, they'd be like, you're mad. And it's a bit like yourself, really. I mean, my wife and saying that uh, your parents are West Indian yeah um and back then to become a dj i mean how did they how
1: did they respond to that um so i was brought my mum brought us up uh basically so i didn't go out with my dad yeah you know, i know my dad and i spent time with him on on odd occasion but my mum was uh my mum and my dad um my advisor my confidants the person that made sure we stayed focused and disciplined that all come from mum um but i i i Been sort of DJing as a hobby um, for about sort of 10, 12 years before I turned professional. But the thing about that was that I had a love of music, collected records, and I was actually working in a full time job, nine to five. And, and, And what happened around 1990, maybe 1992, is that I started to get. A little bit more work, not loads of work, but enough to make me still want to stay interested in in, in being a DJ. But because I had already and I was working and I wasn't trying to sort of avoid having a nine to five. So when it kind of came around to the time where I felt I could leave full time employment, actually what I'd done is I went part time. I went four days a week to give myself a bit more freedom. The growth of the DJing went exponentially. So then I went down to three days a week which made it go even greater than it did when I went down to four days a week. And then I just had to go back to my boss and say, look, I know you've let me do that twice now. I'm going to have to resign. And he was like, look, you know, cool. Good luck to you. Um, and at the time, you know, having that conversation with my mum, she's like, look, it seems as though you've thought about it. Um, it's not like you've jumped ship. You've uh, plotted your way. And she trusted my you know, view and my opinion. And, and actually growing up, Like the way that my mum worked with things is that if I went to her with an idea or something that I wanted to do, she would ask me the questions to make sure that I thought the process through. So if I wanted to go football on a Saturday, it would be my responsibility to work out what happens with my brothers, who's going to look after my brothers whilst I'm being taken to football, what about dinner, what about the shopping. So you'd have to look at it from a 360 point of view. So when I came back round to her, it's a long winded way of saying when I came round to her to say, I, I want to uh, go and do this full time. She was like 100% supportive.
0: Yeah, because it's, it's a bit of unorthodox, isn't it? You could you could see. I mean, my my mum and dad before I went to join the Marines, my mum broke down and said, you're going to get killed. That was a, her natural reaction. As um, most parents would be, yeah, of course. And like I don't, she done it from from a position of love rather than not wanting me to pursue something that I was slightly passionate or obsessed with at the time. And they both said to me, "Go and get a career uh, as a tradesman, Chippy Sparky, which which is a plumber." And I pursued plumbing. And I remember from the moment I started it, from the moment I stopped it, I absolutely hated it. I've never been depressed or suffered from depression or anxiety in my life. Obviously, everyone feels it every so often. But if if someone were to say to me, was there any period in your life where you were close to depression? It was doing that plumbing job. Okay. Because I was living someone else's life. Or or their their goal, rather than my own. So so when you do something slightly off piece, you want to go and do pursue sales, for example. What I got into that was still a bit of a taboo area. It's like why it's not a real job, and I could I could imagine if I wanted to pursue being a DJ and and pursuing the life that you've you've gone through, they
1: would say, "No, Steve, that's not a real job." Yeah, I think the world the world was different then as well, Steve. You know we we know. I say we know a lot more we know different things now is maybe a, a fairer way of saying it um certain professions that are around now weren't around then so to sit even as a if i was a 15 year old and say that i wanted to be a dj in a to my to my careers officer you like like who like where well, where's that come from whereas absolutely now if you're a 15 year old and you could take your smartphone out of your pocket and show your careers officer what DJs do and the life that they live and everything that comes with it it becomes a more realistic tangible offering so you know that that's some of that is just down to the world and the universe and and progress i guess
0: so why did you pursue being a DJ was it the life was it the travelling was it the people that you connect passion for music what what
1: what was it about DJing and being a TV presenter and stuff i mean it was actually only only about the music I just loved playing music finding new music making people dance the joy that you know you never see someone who's upset dancing you know dancing something that you do to make you happy um, luckily enough times in my career I've been around some people's great nights great evenings great experiences um, so it was all about that the, the, the trappings that come with being uh, you know a DJ that's had Relative success. I think it's fair to say that I've had relative success. Is you know the travel and the the people you meet, the places you go, the cars that you get to drive, the you know all of that stuff. But I was one hundred percent just about the music. Good.
0: Um, I know you as twice as nice. Seven years. You don't look old enough to know that. I do, mate. I do, (laughs) and also being a pioneer in the garage scene, uh, resident DJ over ten years at I Napa, Ibiza, etc. And I have followed you for some time, Um, but I know it's not always plain sailing. So, what sort sort of pitfalls? What sort of challenges? What sort of setbacks have you gone through being this this profile now?
1: Wow. I mean, how can I? I mean, what have been the pitfalls? I mean, I, I had a period around. 2000 and uh 2010 where i had for the previous 10 years i'd been well previous 12 years i'd been on kiss galaxy radio one bbc five live because of my love of football and i had a weekly football show on five live it was for the first time in 12 years that i had none of those none of those contracts uh uk garage had kind of gone into like a bit of a funny space or the scene had gone into a funny space, wasn't getting sort of booked as a as a DJ as much. And that was a, a time where I had to, uh, I, I don't want to say reinvent myself, but I had to be creative and strategic in my- Pivot. Pivot, much more concise way of putting it. <laughs> so I, I had to to pivot, but whilst keeping my- and maintaining my integrity as as DJ Spoony and as Jonathan as well. You know, I didn't want to just you know suddenly start running down the high street in a chicken outfit because it's going to make me rich. Because I, I I didn't ever think that it would last. It would be like that forever. But you had to stay afloat. Um, and sometimes um, it's not about it's not about success. Sometimes it's just about maintaining. It's just about staying in the game. It's just about getting to the end of the round to coin a, a boxing analogy. It's just like, listen, he's going to win this round. Don't try and win this round. Just don't get knocked out, just staying around. And you might actually have to do that for three or four rounds to clear your head. And then you can start applying the pressure. And, and and even I use that as an analogy. Sometimes that's what we have to do in life that it's not about how many gigs I've got. It's right? can I just get stay in a place where I can pay the mortgage? You know, if I have to go out, I can have the equipment and I can get there. I've got petrol. Doesn't have to be flash, doesn't have to be loads. So, you know, that was that was a really, really good, really good life lesson for me. Um and, and one that I look back with fondness actually. And I think that my mum instilled me with so much resilience that I was able to handle that time and handle that period. Um, didn't sort of didn't crumble. Um, yeah respectfully
0: in the 90s early 2000s i remember gary's being freaking huge i mean there were some key pioneers in that um as i mentioned that the twice a nice uh, thing um you obviously got dj mc knee and dj luck and uh just mega mega stuff and it for me in my own mind you know better than me but in my own mind it kind of suddenly sort of just dipping away and i think it was the 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 takeover of house and that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of, um, let's say hip hop was thriving and it still is today. But now in the last few years, I feel like it's coming back round and people really, really, really getting back into the garage. How have you seen music
1: in what you do evolve, change and pivot in, in this time? I mean, music is, you know, I say it is, it definitely can be cyclical um styles and genres, just like in fashion can be cyclical, things that we might have frowned upon five years ago. You know, now if you go out and you're wearing a pair of flares, it's like really cool and really trendy. Ten years ago, people were saying, mate, what are wear, like, you wearing? Like now if you wear flares, you're going to look like you should be on the front cover of Vogue. So I know that it it happens like that. But because we weren't in it for fashion, so to speak, we were mm-hmm. in it because of the love of, mm-hmm. it's like I'm not wearing this colour because it is on the front cover of of Vogue, uh, I wear this colour because I like wearing this colour. So it actually doesn't matter whether it's in fashion or it's not in fashion. Yes, I might not get booked as much because all of the high streets they might want it in London, but they're not going to necessarily want it in Cornwall or in in Norwich or in Grimsby. They might just go, oh, it's a fad. So, but yeah, it's listen. It's nice. It, it's nice as a resurgence. The the legacy of, of UK garages that there's people that are now listening to it and enjoying it and trying to find out about where it came from and and we're a part of that, so we could be we can be proud of that. But yeah, it's, listen, it's nice. It'll never be it'll never be the same, but that's not how the world goes round, is it?
0: Yeah. So obviously uh, albums, uh, mixtapes, and then obviously doing your you know being being a resident DJ at certain clubs and certain events it, it, it stuff that is almost a given as 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 a, as a DJ. But then when I started looking into to what you've done, you know, other stuff that that that, that you've done affiliated to your career. Red carpet events such as Spider-Man, Hancock, Bad Boys 2, Men in Back 3, and then the Rugby League event. And something that is quite close to my heart is is boxing. I, I'm a boxer. I had a fight this year. I've had 16 fights. I'm not pro. I have had an amateur career, and I fought on the same called the Queensbury League, which yeah, is yeah. sort of semi-pro, some people yeah. call it. One of my former podcast guests, George Groves, world, yeah. world champion, fought Cole Frotch, and you was the, was the, the stadium DJ. And... Do you ever look at all this stuff and think I started DJing because of love music and now I'm I'm at Wembley 80,000 people and I'm you know for one of the highest growing British fights I mean do you ever sit there and pinch yourself and think wow what a fucking achievement
1: I mean just on that fight by the way um you know George easily could have won that fight I think uh, I think both fights he was winning I think I think Carl Froch absolutely underestimated him Um, and I don't know if, I don't know if George had the, had the self-belief, but I don't know, that might even be a little bit disrespectful, but that was an unbelievable occasion. Um, because, you know, I, I knew Eddie, I'd known Eddie Hearn for, for, for many years and he said, well, we've got this big event and I want you, I'm going to put you on a little, you know, little DJ platform. We're going to DJ and. It's weird because DJing in a stadium where you've just got DJ monitors, you don't get the, the vibe and the essence of what's going on on the terraces, so to speak. But I knew so many people that were there were like, like what? Like, we're actually raving at a boxing match, um, which was phenomenal. And I mean, I'd, I'd gone from maybe the most people I'd played in front of like proper doing a DJ set might have been five seven thousand i've gone from seven thousand to ninety <laughs> like in a in a blink but that was an an amazing occasion but you know i i always look at it that i'm there because i'm a competent dj um my heart is in the craft and the art of DJing. i'm not a celebrity dj i'm someone who people know but they know because i'm a they know i'm a because i'm a dj
0: yeah yeah i second that on the note of uh, boxing i know you got a big passion for sports in general um I know you play golf. I know you've got uh, your friends with Ian Poulter. Um, What is it about sports, maybe golf specifically, that you really enjoy? And just before you answer that, I mean, we got a mutual friend, podcast guest of mine, uh, Leon McKenzie. I mean, I love that that fella. I mean, he's... Big he's up Leon. Big, big up your chest, mate. Um, great footballer, great boxer, great man. I'm very, very excited about his uh, documentary that's going to yeah. be coming out. And um, he always said to me, listen, if you're going to get anyone on your podcast, it's got got to be Jonathan DJ <laughs> Spoony." So... I know it's a bit of a long-winded question, but all of that, I've just said to you,
1: I mean, sports, What? why is that important to you? Sport, I think um, I, I, like there's so many factors and, I, and I'll try and sort of cover them from my view and perspective that sport was always going to be an opportunity for someone like me born into the life that I was to get out whether it be boxing, I used to go to a boxing club in Hackney called Colverston Crescent at the time. Um, Dennis Andrews used to train there. Michael Watson used to train there. Um, Great fighters. You know, just just two of the names that I would be going there to play football or to whatever, they would be in the gym. So these guys were already making a name for themselves, not only on a national, but on an international stage. Football grew up around a load of people that went on to have professional football career so with regards to it being an opportunity and a way out that was that's one element of it two i always believe that um sport and team sport maybe especially equips you with so many skills that can help you in life i think so so much of the the things that i've learned being a member of a team have equipped me for challenges in in life um and there is a difference between team sport and and individual sports. And when I have, you know, I did a a charity boxing match that there's something again about being able to dig in, self-motivate, self-discipline. I I truly believe there's no discipline without self-discipline. That, um, you know, being told not to do something, or you can't do something, you still will have the will to do it. But absolutely motivating yourself to do it is it's, it's like the purest form and I think that sport you know sport gives you that um and then there's the whole maybe the last point on it um is the the challenge of just making yourself a little bit better just pushing yourself to go a second better just to shoot one shot lower just to be able to do an extra round in sparring just to do an extra press up. And I'm that kind of person that will always love to have, you know, I know how I feel when I've been running and I can beat my personal best by one second. Like that means everything. I love that day. That I, day when that happens, it's is, is my best day.
0: I absolutely agree. And couldn't support more what you just said about sport, about that mindset trait. And you can put that into family life, social life, business life. I think it helps everything. I think if, if you're listening to this, my advice i'm only 36 and you know i'm not the most successful person in the world but from my own life experience you want to become very good at business for example learn to be good at sport not because of the sport itself but that mindset trait that the sport will give you so go i didn't know you was actually in the boxing boxing match for charity so the question i'm going to ask you then what did you learn about yourself dj spurny
1: when you was in that boxing match so i am um... So it was a charity charity fight and I was like, you know what, I want to, every now and again, I just give myself these random out of your comfort zone tests, right? Um, Because I think they're good for us. And I think that as much as a lot of my life hasn't been privileged, I still realise that we're most probably in the top 5% of privileged people in the world of how we live, right? Um, So every now and again, I said, right, I'm going to, I'm going to do something now. I didn't really think about being punched square on the nose as, uh, as a good thing. But yes, because it absolutely it keeps you honest. And what it then means is when your trainer says, move like this and keep your hands up, if you don't, you will get a punch on the nose. No one, I don't care who it is, no one wants to get punched on the nose. So what I found out about myself is that I, um, I'm able to train hard. I, I can take myself at my comfort zone. I can absolutely keep going when I'm in the red. Even now I cycle um, and, you know, I could get into the red and I don't stop when I get in the red. And in life, how that works is that even if I'm hungry and I'm tired and I've got to go to a gig and I've got to make people enjoy themselves, I don't sort of flake. I will still find that last little bit of juice and energy for them and then rest afterwards. So whether I'm on the bike when when we were boxing, I mean, the guy that I fought... Um I actually fought Mark Bosnich, who was at the time, I don't know, he might have been six inches taller, two and a half, three stone, three stone heavier, a reach of of about, you know, at least six inches. But I was like, look, I'm gonna go in there and absolutely give it my best mm-hmm. best shot. Um, if you excuse the pun. And even though I even though I came second, I was sort of I was proud of my of my achievement that I I went in and did it.
0: Well, anyone getting in the ring is always hats off to them. Just on the note of um, on, on sport, I know here host of six oh six radio five live. Uh, there was a uh, program Sp- Spoony meets, and then you interview British football legends such <laughs> as Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson, Jose Mourinho, David Beckham, etc. I want to ask you a question. I've asked people. I had Kieran Richardson on my podcast before. Good friend of mine now. And I've asked him obviously what was it like to work underneath Alex Ferguson, et cetera. And he's and he's given me some really good answers. But Jose Mourinho, I mean, he's he's brilliant, brilliantly arrogant, and I like that about him. What is it like to interview someone like Jose Mourinho?
1: I mean, Jose, I, I went to um he was at Real Madrid when I interviewed him. Um and actually the reason I, I got to interview him is the the way that the, the Fergie interview was received was so well that, you know, between him and his son, Jason, they said, look, if we, it was really good. If you'd like us to help you get anyone else, let us know. And I said, you know, I'd like to interview Jose. So they reached out to him and he said, okay, if you're asking, it's fine. So we went out and spent an hour in his, in his office in uh, in Madrid. Um, you know, he's quite cool. He's, he's, he's a fascinating human being, um, his character. I mean, he was in a slightly different space. He'd been there and gone there and come back. But listen, these guys are, are serial winners, you know. And he, he, will win at all costs. He's his legacy. I'd say the difference is that his legacy was about Jose. Sir Alex Ferguson's legacy was about Manchester United first. Sir Alex Ferguson second. But actually, if Manchester United win. So does Sir Alex Ferguson, and I think that in that instance, F- Fergie took on a, how can I say, a more, a more team role. But then, if you go right back into his history, you know he's someone who is, you know, a staunch Labour voter, someone who was, you know, worked on as a shop steward, as a member of a union. So his mindset was never ever about me, I all the time. It's about what can we achieve. You know, unions are way more, way stronger as a collective. I mean, you can't have a union unless you're a collective. So that doesn't surprise me. But again, Jose Mourinho's achievements were like, listen, I'm going to go in there for two or three years. I'm going to make us win stuff, and then we're going to leave. If you're in, if you're into that, cool. If you're a youth team member in that team, it might not work out for you because he's done the equation that actually senior players who know exactly what they're doing are likely to give me results, whereas so Alex Ferguson's going well. I'm going to be here forever. I need to be thinking about tomorrow already. I need to be thinking about next year already, and that's maybe the fundamental difference.
0: So are you saying inadvertently Alex Ferguson is better than Mourinho as a manager?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it, it, listen, it all depends on what your benchmark is. What you know, what your what your value is. I'm saying that I think his complete Fergie's complete legacy means that there's most probably not many managers that can shine a light on him he you know he most probably sits in a very exclusive club of two or three club managers in in his in his lifetime or definitely in my lifetime like I said completely depending on what you're measuring it on um and that's me without me wearing my my Liverpool team colors you know sometimes or you should just applaud brilliance when you're going to applaud brilliance
0: absolutely David Beckham then what was he like to speak to and get to know
1: yeah I love, I love Beck's. um he's he, you know he's really cool I I first came into contact with Beck actually through through Victoria so when we were on Radio 1 Victoria made a record with a friend of mine and then we were able to play that exclusively so you know that was nice and in the sense of that she always remembered that we were going to play a record of hers. That was not just a Spice Girl offering. She was going to try and be a solo artist and she wanted to make a cool record. She made this record with my friends. So we supported it. And then um, not too long after that, we, um, I think it was the World Cup coming up and Radio 1 wanted to do an interview with David Beckham and uh, got in touch with her through Victoria. And then Bex came back and said, look, I'll do it, but only if the Dream Team do it. So even though we weren't sort of high up, they would have wanted that to be on breakfast or on drive. But he was like, no, I'm I, i I'm only going to do it if I do it. this lot. So we flew out to Manchester. And actually when we went up there is when he'd done his metatarsal. So he was in a boot when we'd done the interview. We missed our flight from Heathrow. He waited for us. We did the interview. And then that kind of started the, you know, started relationship. I ended up um, not only interviewing him that time, which I'll come back to, but I DJed at his... 30th and his 31st birthday party as well, so he flew me out to Madrid to do that. Um, we DJed at a big uh, party that he hosted with Elton John prior to the World Cup in 2002, I think. But um, the I was, what was I was just going to say about him? That the the biggest the biggest interview that I did with him was where he had been sort of bombed out of the squad. At Real Madrid, Fabio Capello, because he'd done the deal to go to the MLS, his contract was coming up to an end at Real Madrid. Real Madrid hadn't offered him a new contract. He'd done a deal with uh, with Galaxy, and Capello turned around and was like, "Well, your heart can't be in this club, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bomb you out." Anyway, a couple of players got injured. Um, things weren't going well. David stayed incredibly professional and this is like, this is another life lesson in this and I will come back to it. He he stayed professional, turned up for training, trained like he always would. Um, Capello sort of brought him back into the fold. Madrid went off and won the league that year and he was largely instrumental in in their turnaround of fortune. But his performances for Real Madrid meant that he was called back into the England squad. And I had arranged to interview him like midweek, We'd done the interview and then we had the interview in the can and then the New England squad was announced on the Saturday and he'd just come back into the squad, um, which was an amazing sort of turn of coincidences, but um, the timing on that was perfect because everyone was like, how have you got this interview? And I like, actually doing it before the england squad this has nothing to do with the england squad um and he's really cool and he's always been you know one of the most famous people in the world and he's always just been like really really cool really nice really cordial really humble so for all that he's achieved he's such a humble man they're actually a humble couple they've been you know they've been amazing to me to put their name on my cv in the way that i've been able to like they could have picked any dj in the world you know what i mean
0: You've been on Kiss 100, Strictly Come Dancing and TV, interviewing David Beckham, Sir X. Ferguson, uh, Jose Mourinho, Radio 5 I mean, Will Smith, Will, Jamie S- Foxx,
1: I mean, J-Lo. Just,
0: so this is the question I was going to ask. I mean, out of all the people that you've met, out of all the people that you've interviewed, out of all the people to rub shoulders with, who has been the most iconic, most powerful, most influential? The person, I wouldn't say you were starstruck by, but someone thought, wow, that person really has affected my life in a positive way
1: you know what I, I, I at the risk of sort of sounding boring and sitting on the fence i think most of them have a lot of the big names i've interviewed have all added something different to me they've all blessed me in a different way like the the professional love and respect that I've had for Will Smith and Jamie Foxx as black icons, as black men that are multi-talented across the board means that someone like me can look and go, right, there's like, we can, we, we, we can achieve this. You know, we're not all going to be drug dealers. That's portrayed. We're not all going to be people that don't have jobs. That's often portrayed. Like this is a guy who started out as a rapper, then was a comedian, then, Went and done serious acting, then got his children in the film, and then still did a little bit of stand-up. I mean, Jamie Fox is a talented musician. He's a brilliant, unbelievably, brilliantly funny comedian. He can do comedy acting. He, you know, he's in one of my favourite films as as well. You know, Ray's won an Oscar. They've both won Oscars, and for me, they're they're brilliant. But then on the sports side, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, unbelievable. Kenny Dalglish, John Barnes, again as a black man. And, and and I say that because the the, the time that I grew up in, you, the, black role models weren't as visible. Now it's a thing. Now it's something that's spoken about. Now we realise the importance of it. Um, but at the time, someone like me who did want to do better and get on better, you needed to have these, these points visibly. So even though my love of John Barnes came earlier in my life than my love of Will Smith and, and Jamie Foxx, it's still it was still proud and it was still important to my growth and development so for 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 different reasons you know all of those names have a, a very it's like more like a a jigsaw puzzle where any one of those pieces aren't in the puzzle the puzzles not finished and even though the last piece is the piece that you go yeah that's the important piece well actually it can't be the last piece unless the previous piece is in place, you know. Totally
0: understand that. Just, I was going to bring this up, but because you've mentioned it now, you know, I've done research on you, but I haven't actually got your 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 age. So if I can ask that quickly, how old are you? So I've just turned 52. Congratulations, happy birthday. So being 52, okay, back then when you were trying to make it, the stereotypes, the racism, we know it was there. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, someone who's probably gone through your fair share of it, do you think... Being black, you know, held you back in some regards or people tried to stop you from pursuing certain careers because I know now we talk about it. But back then, I'm old enough to know that that there was a thing and there was a culture of not just black people, but loads of people in different walks of life. Now, it's a subject that people talk about and we embrace it and it's not a taboo subject. But you going through it? Tell me a bit about that. Was it? Was there racism ever? Was there ever slander towards you? Was
1: you put in a box because of the stereotype? What was it like trying to make it as a as a DJ? So uh, as a DJ, it's funny, right? Because music and especially DJing is maybe music is one of those, especially for what we were doing. It was one of those areas where color really didn't matter. If I wanted to play the violin and be in London Philharmonic Orchestra, that might have been a little bit different because there are, at that time, there definitely would have been, and most probably still is a a snobbery in music and classical music and that sort of stuff. And that's, I say that without casting dispersions, that's most probably just how it is, that DJing is a lot more working class and we don't really care as long as you can make people dance. prior to that at school there were a couple of occasions like i I grew up in hackney and hackney very multicultural but i didn't see or witness any racism until i went to secondary school you know someone called me a black bastard and we had a fight and you know he never did that again and you know that was cool and then i think i've always i've always looked at it that I know there's going to be racism, but I'm going to give myself the best possible chance and opportunity for the color of my skin not to be an issue. It's not an issue for me. I'm going to try and make it not. So I'm going to make sure that I'm professional. I turn up on time. I turn up ready to do whatever the job is that I'm employed to do. And the success that I'd had in my work career, in the for the employment service, uh, as a civil servant for seven years, I had absolutely, you know, no problems. I was the youngest executive officer in the whole of the Northeast London region. Um, it was unheard of that someone like someone of my age would be. So I didn't suffer any racism in that way. I don't know. I do believe that certain opportunities might have been or may have been denied me, but I don't know that. No one would ever come out and say, you're not going to have this TV show because you're because you're black. Um but again, like I said, we, we don't know. All I ever tried to do was just equip myself with the right skills, what I at least deem to be the right skills to get the desired result.
0: Perfect mindset. I know you, you've got your, you know, you need to get off. So I'm going to ask you two more no, questions. No, go on, man. All right. So number one, what are you doing right now? 52 years of age. You've had a lot of success, but you're still young. So you've got a lot to look forward to. What are those plans? What are the goals? What are the aspirations? Where will I see Jonathan Joseph? DJ Spoonie, next five or ten years, what you doing?
1: Well, I've just um, I've just started, and this has been a dream of mine for for over ten years now. Um, I've just started a new show on Radio Two, so I'm on Friday nights from from nine to eleven. Um, I left Radio One in 2006, and for me, the the next and most natural progression would have been to be on Radio Two. That's just happened, so I'm I'm absolutely delighted that I can still at the age that I am be fulfilling dreams Um, and my my stepson has you know he he wrote me a most beautiful message saying how inspiring it is that you know he's starting out his life and there I am in the sort of at least late summer autumn of of mine still trying to achieve and I I think that you know I kind of take on that responsibility of leading from the front by example Um, at least with the way that I conduct myself with my professional head-on. So that's that aspect. We we have Garage Classical, um, uh, which we did a couple of weeks ago at Kew Gardens. Um, you know, a full orchestra playing your favorite Garage records in the beautiful surroundings of the uh, horticultural gardens. So it's just a fantastic experience. Something that, you know, between myself and uh, Katie Chapburn, who, who is our conductor, but she's the composer and leads the Ignition Orchestra. Spoke about four years ago. Um, doing and you know we've got it to this stage and you know I'm just I'm I'm touring I'm on the I'm on the I'm on the decks I'm doing my thing and you know I'm still working for the Premier League so I host a, a show a week for Premier League TV because my zone. fan zone um, yeah. um that is my it's not even going to be called fan zone this year but um we yeah I've been I've been really fortunate to have you know football was my first love um to have made my career out of Playing football, watching football, and talking about football, and You've playing music. Yeah, the two. It's yeah, incredible. been lucky, lucky boy.
0: Last question. I come up with a mantra. a saying, it goes like this: "Be happy, never content." I built a gym in my house, and on the bottom of the door, when I go in and go out, I read it, and it's it's like a it's like an incantation for me. I want
1: to ask you, DJ Spoony, what does "be happy, never content" mean to you? Be happy, never content. As in. So I, I often talk about being happy to people and they'll explain a the story and I'll say, but is he happy? But is she happy? Because ultimately we can look at other people's lives through our lens, which actually doesn't really matter because it's how do they feel about what they're doing? The be content bit is that... Never content. Yeah, keep striving. I, I, I mean, I do believe that, we, we sometimes as human beings can focus on what we don't have as opposed to what we do have. And where does contentment sit in in that? That I think sometimes we could be a little bit more grateful and a little bit more appreciative, but that's coming from somebody who doesn't rest on his laurels. So I, I buy into the notion of be happy, not content, even though I think sometimes being content is actually quite important.
0: Yeah. You're the man, bro. Uh, Love good you. Luck thank, with, thank you uh, for having me. I'd be for today and with all the plans. I still want to stay in communication with you, bro. And yep. uh, you've been a hero for me. No, and thank uh, you for having me. God bless, mate. Really, really appreciate this Take conversation. Take it easy, champ. Thank you. Cheers. Nice.